So, Mr. <laughs> I can't even think of what, <laughs> what the guy's name was. Mr. Crumb. So, Mr. Crumb, every time we, uh, we flash the lights, we're going to bring forth a new one of your many personalities. You can try, but I wouldn't, I wouldn't play with the beast, you know? <laughs> okay, let's try that again. You can't contain me. <laughs> All right, let's try that again. Okay. So, Mr. Crumb, every time we... Don't take your finger off that. <laughs> I'm going to say it. I'm going to say the N-word. No. <laughs> Podcast <it>. deleted. <laughs> oh, no. So, Mr. Crumb, every... No, okay. Ooh, okay. Mr. Crumb, every time we... Uh, we hit this button. <laughs> <laughs> okay, we're serious comedic actors right now. Let's Mr. do this. Mr. Crumb, every time we hit... Okay, I was talking over you, okay. so let's start again. Mr. Crumb, every time we flash these lights, we're going to bring forth another personality. You can try, darling, but it will be quite dangerous. Hey, this is quite disrespectful what you're doing here. I know you're one of the good ones, but this whole trip, you know, I'm not getting paid too much. And I just saw some spaghetti on the floor over though. That's not very good. You know, my culture's not looking super great right now. Lynn, I'm gonna I'm gonna be a great vice uh, president and uh those uh those guys getting picked up on the street, they deserved it. I'm gonna get a good night's sleep. Now you see, the science of glass makes no sense. When young men see Mr. Glass, they see themselves weak, incapable, but strong in mind. What the hell? Now, these might just be some nice flowers, but I have a strange feeling that the beast is coming out soon, and you don't want to meet him. He doesn't like flowers the same way I do. <laughs> Soldier Boy is a great uh, Twitter follow. Oh, inspirational as fuck. Yeah. Today, the one I retweeted today was finally getting the respect that I deserve. Mm-hmm. That's like the energy that I'm bringing into 2019, 100%. Yeah, I, I too will create a fake game console and grip <laughs> millions of hype beasts out of their hard-earned $99. If you buy it straight from the producer, it's kind of an okay but value. It doesn't have the, the soldier game decal on it. That's true. Um, anyway, hi everyone, you're listening to Kino Lefter, a podcast where we talk movies and movies as they relate to politics. I'm Abdul. I'm Laura. And I'm Evan. And this week we're coming to you with Glass. Um, I hope you liked our intro bit. It was better than my idea for an intro bit, which was just Samuel Jackson's lines of the movie, but instead of Glass, it was Ass. (laughs) (laughs) We would just edit the audio from the trailer, so that's just like, Mr. Mr. Ass. Mr. Ass. (laughs) We can try that right now. Uh, Folks, this is what it would have sounded like. It was the children. (laughs) First name, Mr. Last name. Ass. <laughs> no, you gotta do that line from the end of Unbreakable. Oh, you want to know how I know? It was the kids. They used to call me Mr. Ass. <laughs> cha-ching, cha-ching, cha-ching. I was actually, I'm happy that I got like a good response because I've been agonizing over bringing that up as an opening bit all week. <laughs> it's really funny. You're great. You're a great host, Abdul. Good, good job, buddy. <laughs> You want gold star? You want stick? You want stick? 
I think that I've been psychologically bullying uh, <laughs> Abdul too much over the last few weeks. If you no, think that, a- you can't bring up your ideas. I'm sorry no, that it's, I've it's, created such an unsafe space for you. It's, it's not you. It's it's my crippling disease. Oh. <laughs> so Abdul has glass bones, right? Laura pushed him down the stairs. And, uh, it was a shattering experience. I have uh, 23 divergent personalities, and Laura is indeed unbreakable. I am unbreakable. That's 100% true. No. <laughs> Okay, so um, let's uh, get into the weeds of this movie. Um, I feel like we have more to our intro, do we? Fuck. <laughs> well, I mean, <laughs> no, I mean, I think we can, like, loosen it up a little bit. Like, okay, people, people yeah. have been listening. They know, <laughs> no. they, they know what to expect. We're good. They're on board. They want this. Yeah, okay. Well, we'll give, the people, <laughs> we'll give the people what they want, and what they want is a plot recap and not my Google to activate. Okay, let's go. <laughs> visual medium, visual medium. Let's go. <laughs> Um, do you guys want to maybe give a bit of the background on the other movies? I haven't uh, just as a, another running theme of our podcast is I've seen zero movies. So this was my first uh, experience in this trilogy. I'll do Unbreakable. You'll do Split. Sure. Cool. Uh, Unbreakable is a movie where Bruce Willis um, finds out that he is unbreakable after a train accident and partners up with Samuel L. Jackson, who's a guy named Mr. Glass, um, and tells him he's a superhero. And over the course of the movie, he realizes he is in fact a superhero, um, and then it turns out that he the can bench that, like so much. Yeah, he but can, I can too. Nobody, he's, yeah, nobody he's celebrates got, me for he's that. He's got fucking gains. Um, he's really swole, and when he touches people, he knows their innermost uh, thoughts and feelings, uh, thoughts and prayers. Um, so, <laughs> just such a bad joke. Um, uh, and at the end, it's revealed that Samuel Jackson is um, the person who planted the bomb that derailed the train because he's looking for a, he's looking for a hero. Um, like that song from the Shrek 2 soundtrack. Do you remember what that was? No? Are we thinking I need a hero? Or like Flashdance or whatever? Like, no, I'm no, thinking. I need a hero. Yeah, I was yeah, thinking, we don't need another hero. But that's one of my favorite songs. But we did need Tina another Turner. hero. In fact, we needed three because that's why this movie exists. Um, anyway, yeah, that's that's the plot of Unbreakable. <laughs> <laughs> and Split Part 2 of the... Uh, Glass trilogy, let's call it that. Sure, uh, it was made in 2016, 16 years after the first film. Always One a good for each sign. Personality, yeah. <laughs> um, and uh, by all accounts, um, the main character Kevin Wendell Crumb, aka the Horde, was supposed to be a character in Unbreakable, mm-hmm. but then during the making of it, things changed, and you know he always wanted it to be a trilogy. I guess it only came around now. So uh, the movie focuses on uh, Kevin Wendell Crumb. Uh, played by James Mac- McAvoy. I was going to say McElroy. <laughs> Whoops. <laughs> Uh-oh, I'm going to kill you. <laughs> um, so um, he has a DID. Um, Dissociative Identity Disorder. Yeah. Um, and all of them kind of um, have their own um, unique traits. Um, one of them, Hedwig, nine years old. Uh, the one in charge is Patricia. Um, we find out through the course of the film that he developed this because of the abuse he suffered uh, from his mother. Um, and uh, he has kind of an ideology uh, that we discover after he kidnaps um, two, three. three three girls. I haven't seen Split in a little while. Thank you so much, friends. Um, I just saw the recap before we went to the- <laughs> I'm just not stupid. <laughs> Um, so yeah, um, we find out that, yeah, he developed DID because of the abuse uh, he suffered from his mother and saying his full name, Kevin Wendell Crumb will, uh, bring out, uh, his original personality, Kevin, um, who's a nice boy who's being trapped. 
Um, and at the end of the film, um, he uh, unleashes the beast. Um, the beast is the uh, hidden personality um, who uh, has limited super strength, uh, can bend steel bars, can climb on walls. Um, and uh, he gets shot twice in the film um, and uh, the bullets don't break the skin. Um, and uh, the main character played or one of the main characters played by Anna Taylor Joy. Um, her character Is it being, Anna or Anya? On, Anya. One of those. Miss Taylor Joy. <laughs> um, Hold on, I'm looking up the IMDb. Sure. She escapes, um, and then the end of the film has a stinger um, where uh, the Horde is very excited about the world discovering that superpowered beings exist. Um, and then the last scene is in a diner um, where uh, folks on TV are talking about um, the Horde, and then uh, a reporter. Um, asks, uh, there was a guy arrested 15 years ago in a wheelchair, and they gave him a funny name, too. Who was it? And then the camera pans to Bruce Willis, and he says, Mr. Glass. And then you realize, <laughs> oh, shit, same universe. They're going to all fight each other in this exciting installment. Because everything needs to be a cinematic universe now, no matter how low stakes it is. Yeah, so then we pick up the story. Uh, this is also where I came in, so I'm... <laughs> very confused throughout the whole thing um as per usual and uh it's um basically starts out with the beast uh again capturing uh three girls to sacrifice four girls now four sexy sexy cheerleaders whoa whoa <laughs> <laughs> four sexy sexy cheerleaders who he's gonna sacrifice to the beast and um, uh, Bruce Willis, Unbreakable Man, is uh, now, you know, pretending or like just not even pretending. He's doing vigilante justice and like kicking the shit out of like meme spouting teenagers uh, in <laughs> the the scene where I clicked out, which was in the first, you know, five I'm minutes. Salt bay your the ass. Salt bay. <laughs> Uh, can I just point out that Unbreakable Man is a much better superhero name than the one he's given in the movie, which is the Overseer, which just reminds me of like middle management. The and the the Salt Bay part that we referenced before was because like I guess in an attempt at humor, the Overseer goes to like kick the shit out of some near do well Gen Zers, <laughs> and they said I'm gonna Salt Bay you, and I was just like, wow, fuck, this is gonna be a long two hours and some minutes um, fun fact actually this movie is set in 2016 and the salt bay meme did not come to uh did not come up until 2017 um so this film so is edited in post no this film is uh, anachronistic it's set in 2016 oh <laughs> <laughs> it didn't go back and night like like you know what's gonna make this movie you know it's gonna give this movie like chutzpah it needs if i, if I put in a two-year-old joke <laughs> Um, um, yeah, so uh, the Beast and the Overseer end up fighting, and uh, they get arrested and taken to a um, to a psychiatric ward where uh, there's an evil, sexy doctor. I guess you don't really know she's evil until way later, but... Um, or sexy. She, <laughs> she tries to. You know that from the start. Come on, <laughs> folks. It's Sarah Paulson. <laughs> um, she basically tries to convince all of them that they're not... She's a, she's a doctor that specializes in treating people with delusions about being a superhero. But anyway, they <gasps> they end up all, all fighting at the end. It's all revealed as like some elaborate 
like undertaking that Mr. Glass is doing to like prove to the world that superheroes are real and you should believe in yourself, <laughs> I guess. And the girl from uh, Split <laughs> comes back and uh, oh, Casey, that's Casey. Name. Yeah, Casey comes back. Her name is Anya in real life. Okay. Um, and I love her. Um, she uh, she's like friends with Kevin I guess because she can see through the beast to the real human underneath and she tries to save them but they they can't be saved and they all end up dead but it doesn't matter because the video of them of them fighting goes viral (laughs) turns out the real purpose of being a superhero is to get clout Is just get mad follows, you know, lots of people sliding into your DMs. Let's get that that uh, slim tummy tea sponsorship. <laughs> <laughs> That's all we're after. I've done this podcast. After a busy walk of being the overseer, I love chilling out with my son and drinking skinny tea. <laughs> skinny tea, the only tea used by the overseer. <laughs> Terrible. Just like the- the last half of the film is like Samuel L. Jackson doing audible audible ads from the grave. It's like when all this time in prison, it wouldn't let me read books. But I got them on audible. What do you call a book that hasn't been read yet? Your next gift on audible.com. <laughs> Like uh, what's what? What would be what be okay? So so we know that David uh, Dunn would like skinny slim tea. Mm-hmm. Um, Mr. Glass would like Audible. What what would be the Kevin Wendell Crumb? Uh, Extreme restraint restraints for sure. I don't even know what that is. Extreme restraints was like a. It, I guess it's, it might still be, but it was a um, BDSM company that used to uh, advertise pretty widely on a lot of uh, the different podcasts, in particular, pretty legendary ads on My Brother, My Brother and Me for a time, maybe in like 2011. I don't even remember. Mm. Okay, that's better than what I was thinking of, which was like LastPass for all of his like 17 different passwords. What's LastPass? Oh, it's like a password manager or like, I know, Squarespace. <laughs> <laughs> You can have 18 blogs for your personality. It's funny because, like, when I have to use, like, MailChimp at work, I feel this, like, deep satisfaction in my soul. Like, the, the, the podcast advertising has really, like, permeated my subconscious and just, like, using those products. Like, I really want MeUndies. <laughs> so bad. <laughs> I feel like my I would be the woman I was meant to be if I just had Blue Apron meals. You know what I mean? Yeah, like cooking Blue Apron meals in your Mac Weldon undies while like updating your website on Squarespace and listening to a book on Audible. <laughs> we could actually like okay, chewing on Blue Chew to get my dick hard. <laughs> <laughs> idea for for a podcast spinoff: someone tries to live for a whole year using only items advertised <laughs> on podcasts. With I am pitching that to Slate right now. <laughs> like a great BuzzFeed series like the, the <laughs> thumbnail is just Evan being like like mouth I can't even describe it the we're soy not face the it's the soy face <laughs> Evan doing soy face holding a pair of like Mack Weldon underwear with like a, sh- a chef's hat <laughs> <laughs> if you don't know what uh, Evan looks like um, look him up Evan McDonald you're gonna like it media. I guarantee it <laughs> um, so did we like this movie no <laughs> <laughs> It. If you can't tell, dear listener, we're taking every step we can to avoid talking about the fucking movie. I, I hated it. And, like, I was trying to... I 
I just like I wasn't excited to see it because I'm not like really <clears throat> like that huge into superhero movies. But I've been surprised in the past. Like I had a good time at like Black Panther. That was a good movie. Mm-hmm. And like I don't mind seeing blockbuster stuff. Like I I'll, I like a dumb cheesy movie. But this is was like this was like so boring and like weird and it just I hated it I hated it from the the dialogue was like so stilted and terrible it was just awful the adjective I I've been using to describe it this week is tedious like Mm -hmm. it felt like a chore to go to the theater it felt like a chore to sit down being like I'm gonna pay $13 to see this it felt like a chore to sit through every fucking agonizing minute of it um it like it felt like a chore to walk away from it and yep. think about it at all. Uh, doing this podcast right now, both of you feel like chores to me. <laughs> I cleaned my house today. I don't want to do this right now. Um, uh, but cool. yeah, uh, no, I, I love you both. I just, uh, I'm sorry. We love you too. I, I, Thank I you. I feel bad when. No, fuck you. You roast me all the time. <laughs> Uh, We're all good, good friends. Allegedly, yes. (laughs) You love to see it. Uh, Um, I have... Oh, sorry. Oh, no, that was passed off to you. Um, I feel like my feelings about Glass have really complicated since I've seen it. Because walking out of the theater, I was so exhausted. Like, this movie just kept punishing me for watching it. And then with some distance, I'm not saying it's a great movie. You need to go out and see it. There was a lot I really enjoyed about mm-hmm. Glass. And it made me think about things I liked more. Um, like I reflected on Unbreakable. Um, I haven't seen it again since I watched Glass. But I was, I've was i been listening to the music and I've been like watching the end of the movie and like the weightlifting scene. Um, and just how effective of like a use of superhero archetypes it is. Mm-hmm. Um I haven't rewatched Split, but like, I think that there's a lot of competence um, and like belief in what he's doing in this film. You um, mean M. Night Shyamalan? M. Night Shyamalan. Yeah. That is unequally distributed, ultimately disappointing um, because the promise at the both at the end of Unbreakable at the end of Split is very tantalizing. But I feel like it's it's th- this film is very emblematic of a lot of M Night Shyamalan movies. I mean, I haven't seen all of them, but like it's in the discourse where like there's a lot of tension throughout his films and he's very good at building that and then the ending, resolutions, payoff, not always there. Right. Um and that's kind of like the the M Night Shyamalan thing, right? Um <clears throat> I bring this up a lot on the pod, but it's really disappointing when you see really good directors like talented <clears throat> directors who just are dealing with like bad material and M Night Shyamalan cannot he hasn't been able to write since Unbreakable, right? In fact, retroactively this movie makes what I would argue is his best film infinitely worse because you know what it's supposed to lead to, which is right. this piece of shit movie, but there are scenes in this movie that are immaculately well directed. Like the scene where they they finally intro Samuel L. Jackson's Mr. Glass is so fucking good like it was it was the one of two moments of movies where i'm like oh i'm so here for this right it's gonna get better now and it didn't there's like a a masterful sequence halfway through that's like all set to music is like the the pieces are in play and and you know you're coming into like the third act and you're like oh this is so good um and and there's just really nice touches like he knows how to move a camera he knows how to ostensibly direct actors right but 
he's also just like so fucking full of himself. He's just like an egotistical bad director who's like, I got my renaissance and I'm going to fuck it up big time. <laughs> um, yeah, like I know what your relationships to M. Night Shyamalan are. Just one more thing about yep. the movie that I that I thought. It was just like, it was also so like ham-fisted in its delivery. Like there's the one scene where... Basically, Mr. Glass is revealing his whole plan that this is actually an origin story. And you have uh, uh, the overseer's son. Um, everyone's miming, stabbing. <laughs> stabbing in their neck uh, <laughs> motions on this visual medium of a podcast. I'll just provide the uh, the live captions for that. Um, but, uh, yeah, like his, his uh, the overseer's son um, goes into a comic book uh um, goes into a comic book store and looks at the hero section and then is like, wait a second, and goes over to the section labeled villains and like flashing neon light and then stands under it. And you're like, oh, I, 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 I get it. <laughs> he's going to be a villain. I get he's it. Layering information uh, effectively in a visual medium. It's very <laughs> subtle. Um, there's, there's context, there's subtext. It's part of the mise en scene. <laughs> Um, I hope M. Night Shyamalan is the left case against open borders. <laughs> Thank you Jesus for that, Laura. Uh, <laughs> I credited you on a joke now. <laughs> I was embroidering on a joke that you made when you said you wanted to deport. No, Laura's completely original racist joke was that M. Night Shyamalan is the left case against open borders. That's I don't credit not enough. what happened. Everyone knows that uh, Abdul is an unreliable narrator in this <laughs> podcast and knows that we literally, I literally have him saved in my phone as the snake emoji and he screencaps our chats, our group chats. So This is yet again another rhetorical fallacy. Being against open borders is not racist. It's a cultural argument. These people don't understand our way of life. <laughs> Um, Stefan Molyneux is one of Canada's greatest crimes against <laughs> the international community. Um, so, yeah, my relationship with M. Night Shyamalan is, you know, as someone who uh, ostensibly tries to make movies um, and works in like... Don't put yourself down, fam. <laughs> you make movies. As someone who occasionally makes movies and like went to film school, like M. Night Shyamalan was like a person I forgave way longer than most people should forgive. Um, like... I'm being a person of color and a fan of M and like watching M night Shyamalan movies is like, I mean, it's like being in a bad relationship, you know, cause you're just willing to overlook like lady in the water, Paul Giamatti, M night Shyamalan putting himself in the movies. <laughs> um, the last airbender, you know, like, uh, but at least I, he's not like Quentin Tarantino where he just puts him in so he can say the N-word. <laughs> yeah, no, uh, he just he just puts himself in so he can be the guy who saves the world and like Lady in the Water and a bunch of... Fuck, oh my god. Uh, sorry, I saw The Void for a second. <laughs> uh, and The Void was Paul Giamatti staring at a mermaid in an apartment swimming pool. Um, but yeah, it's like really disappointing because like I saw... Um, I saw The Visit, and I'm like, oh, this is, like, not a bad exploitation film. I saw Split, which isn't a good movie, but I'm like, oh, he's pivoting to, like, B-movies now. He's doing that thing where he's making, like, small, like, nice, punchy films that are just... They don't have to have a good plot or good dialogue. They can just be effective, tension-filled movies. And you're like, what a great way for, like, a failed director to pivot to, right? Mm. Um but no, then then Minaj Neliatu Shyamalan <laughs> then decides. Oh. 
that I just want to say, like, is there any more thing more like Uncle Tomish than taking Minaj Neliatu and turning that into M Knight because you're a, a fuck? Um, and then he makes this, which is just like his like ego driven return to form. And it's like, yeah, you know what? Fuck you. I'm done. I'm done. Like I walked out of that theater being like, I can't even watch Unbreakable anymore. Six Sense isn't worth watching because you know the twist. Like, fuck off, dude. You know what I mean? Just start to finish. I feel like jumping off of like the disappointment angle for a little bit. Um, uh, as a POC, this really <laughs> <laughs> no nope. canceled, canceled. I can't do that. Uh, I literally oh. banned. Oh my god! The canceled des- police are right outside. Describing himself as a woman of color today <laughs> on the pod. So I am a woke walk, please. <laughs> Wow, um, as a as a movie fan of whiteness, like <laughs> <laughs> you're you're definitely set up for a film that doesn't happen uh, with this movie because um, even like the music of Unbreakable was very intentionally operatic. Um, like there's these elements of like tragedy and grandeur mm. that like are very integral to a lot of like the best superhero stories. Like I'm thinking. Uh, something like Batman: The Long Halloween, where it's this story about like this, this, these three friends, Batman, Commissioner Gordon, and Harvey Dent, and the struggles that break their bonds of trust, and you know, lead to them, you know, fighting for you know, uh, the sanity of Gotham City, right? Um, and in this film, you are se- like the the beginning twenty five minutes of the film. I was really enjoying it. Um, there's stupid shit in there right like salt bay yeah superman punch his ass um but like (laughs) i i really enjoyed seeing uh m night Shyamalan using like a working class superhero right um like at times his like uh david dunn character feels like superman analog right like just an ordinary person gifted with you know extraordinary abilities and does what's right because it's the right thing to do. Mm-hmm. Um, but he also, like Superman, you know, has a job that, you know, he goes to every day. And uh, But he also has this, like, Batman element to him where he's, you know, assaulting the mentally ill and, like, you know, <laughs> just patrolling poorer neighborhoods or whatever, just, like, beating people mercilessly, right? Which is something that Superman, you know, wouldn't do. Um, so there's, like, there's some interesting elements of his character that you could get into in this film, but it doesn't, right? Because David Dunn's arc goes from... I know I'm a superhero. I'm being tested as to whether or not I'm a superhero. Then I'm fucking dead. <laughs> that's, a, that's a big reveal. You know, you know this show has spoilers. All three major characters at the end of the film die. The real enemy in this uh, movie was police brutality. And toxic masculinity. <laughs> and the Irish. Because <laughs> they all had clover tattoos. Oh, right. <laughs> uh, folks, this is our immigration episode. <laughs> Let's get into it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, um, David David Dunn, that's his name, yeah. uh, gets drowned in a puddle by the cops who are then revealed. To, that's his one weakness, is water. Um, but his uh, his one weakness is revealed to be water, so the cop just like murks him in a little puddle. Um, something worth talking about is definitely like... So, Unbreakable works because it's such an effective deconstruction of superhero tropes right it was like way ahead of its time it totally had this like very like seriousness about it that superhero movies hadn't had prior mm. right um it felt like uh like a really it felt like reading watchmen you know what mm. i mean like it's it's both clever but also silly enough to kind of work um and sort of takes superheroes and their like cultural context really well uh, split has none of that but it's like it's a fine thriller 
movie, I guess. I turned it off, actually, because I remember me and my, uh, me and an ex were going to watch it, but I don't like w- movies where, like, women are captured and, like, in peril. I just find them upsetting. <laughs> so I yeah, turned it off. Yeah, and the film has, like, a lot of that. Yeah. <laughs> um, and, but it, it is effective, right? Um, but this film, all of its, like, seriousness, all of its, like, self-reflection is not... Mm-hmm. Um, is not how it relates to the superhero genre, which is what Unbreakable was. It was how it relates to M. Night Shyamalan's other movies. Right. <laughs> like he's establishing some sort of self-serious mythology about himself and his work that he's deconstructing rather than expanding that to like the superhero genre in general, right? Which is what Unbreakable did. Does that make any sense? No, keep talking about... The, I, I, it does. <laughs> I just, like, I want to I wanna know more. <clears throat> like, he's like, look, this is my career. This was an origin story. Um, I'm deconstructing Unbreakable and Split together to talk about this and this and this. Right. It's not a limited edition. It's a full series. That's a line in the fucking movie. Where, where Samuel Jackson might as well just... Or where <laughs> James McAvoy might as well just split into brown face <laughs> and turn to the camera and be like, see, see what I'm doing. Right. <laughs> you're, you're, this is going to be inescapable for the next several years. You're going to see another Shyamalanaverse film, <laughs> you know, um, the Shambhalaverse. <laughs> Shambhalaverse. <laughs> I don't want to go there. Every year, every year until you actually hit Nirvana, which is you blowing your brains out. <laughs> Uh, For our uh, <laughs> non-Western Canada listeners, Chambala is a music like, fe- music festival. I think in BC somewhere. It's it's Burning Man for like flyover chuds. Yeah. Like- <laughs> Like us. <laughs> shittiest version of Burning Man. Yeah. Like, you know, the psychedelics aren't even good. It's in the forest. It's just, you know, shitty parties on stolen land. Um, but yeah, like that, that is really the most grating part of this movie is it doesn't take superheroes very seriously, but it takes M. Night Shyamalan very seriously, right? And this is like one of those examples where it's impossible to like separate the art from the artist it has the most grating m night Shyamalan cameo in any movie he's ever been in um i hate him so much he's a discredit to his race and his people um yeah i don't know that didn't land but i actually do feel that way um how do you feel about about m night Shyamalan's relationship to indians evan well here's the definitive (laughs) take yet again coming at you um my main relationship to M Night Shyamalan was of course I saw um I saw Sixth Sense when I was, you know, 10 or whatever cuz that was the the movie du jour at the time, mm-hmm. but mostly my dirtbag friends in my undergraduate uh, program would call doing ecstasy um Shyamalan because you were having an M night. <laughs> <laughs> Come on. <laughs> yeah, um in terms of How my relationship, <laughs> yeah, I can't, can't top it. Not going to try. Um, yeah, this isn't going to be funny. Not going to be good, but please still listen. Um, yeah, my relationship to M. Night Shyamalan. Um, I first knew him as a cultural meme. Um, I, I knew him as like this director who had some like initial talent, but like his films were just so atrocious that like he had just become a joke. Um, this was obviously before like, the visit and split when people started to take him a bit more seriously. My first M night Shyamalan experience was the happening, perhaps his worst film. No, the happening is actually, I will actually fight that the happening is, 
it's a B movie that kind of knows what it is and was just really poorly marketed. You know what I mean? Like that would have been a great movie to throw in. Like I know uh, what's that Robert um, Rodriguez uh, Quentin Troublemaker Tar- Studios. Yeah, or? like that would have been a great Grindhouse uh, Grindhouse uh, mm-hmm. film. You know what I mean? Like that's where the happening should have gone. But M Night being M Night, you know he can't he can't have that. It has to be very serious. But like yeah. I think even he knew what he was doing with the happening. Right? No person with even the smallest level of talent can make a movie like that and think it's genuinely good. Yeah. And like after um the happening, this took me a long time. It was maybe in high school where I watched Unbreakable. And I'm someone who loves superheroes. I grew up uh some of my first memories are watching Batman the animated series and Batman Forever on like tapes that my dad uh, used to tape for us on TV Aww. over my uh, grandmother's church tapes. Um, church tapes yeah she would she was a bit of a all right folks she was a bit of a shut-in um so she uh taped mass for shut-ins which was you know like a televangelist um you know delivering a sermon and then my dad would take those vhs's after he thought my grandmother was done and then record batman the animated series on it and uh there's one family story where she's watching it and then suddenly Bruce Wayne comes on in Neo Noir, you know, beating the crap out of people, and she's just like, <laughs> so very funny. I, I love, I loved growing up, <laughs> but uh, I, I was really moved by Unbreakable. Um, I loved it. Um, you, I haven't revisited it in a long time because, like, I'm slightly worried after like the saturation of how many superhero films we've gotten um, that like maybe I'll sour on it. I'm not, I'm not ready well, to revisit Unbreakable. It was yeah. probably like it. What, when did it come out? 2000? 2000. Yeah. So it was probably like felt pretty like fresh and exciting when it wasn't just like this unending barrage of, you know, comic book movies every five fucking seconds. Speaking of, um, feeling very fresh and new, um, folks. I've been reading a book <laughs> for um, this episode of we the podcast. We finally taught Evan how to read. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, um, Daddy's We're got so a- proud of you. <laughs> Daddy's yeah. got a new skill. <laughs> so let me read to you, baby. <laughs> Let me read Grant Morrison's Super Gods to you in Jordan Peterson voice. It's not going to be. three skills. So And making love. Thank you. Y'all, y'all know your boy is real good at business in the bedroom. I've done it a lot. It's cool. Dear listeners, Evan fucks. Let this be the definitive statement. <laughs> Real divide in the fan community. Evan's a fucking soy boy virgin. He's never gotten. He's never gotten that mad salmon. No. <laughs> I'm sorry. Uh, in retrospect, mom, don't listen to this episode. My brother, don't listen to this episode. And I'm sorry, family. Please listen to this episode. I want you to know how much my friend fucks. <laughs> 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 Let me be clear. Everyone on Kino Lefter, they fuck. Yeah. <laughs> we, we've got it. We've got it handled. <laughs> you know? That's what we do when we're done taping. Yeah. Just, <laughs> just racing this back is, home. This is why we're always watching such bad movies. <laughs> we're anyway. just giving each other handjobs. <laughs> we don't want to be distracted by the plot. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, Beale Street was a struggle. <laughs> oh. uh. <laughs> Any 
anyway, um, so uh, dead air, dead air, dead air. I love reading, folks. You don't have to do that. It's only have dead air. You... I forgot that we could edit it out. Yeah, it's, it's this argument about growth, right? We need to constantly expand. Like this is fine. This is good. Let's leave some dead air. Yeah. Um. So I am reading Grant Morrison's, I'll say it, seminal book on superheroes and what they mean for our culture, Super Gods. It's full of semen. It's it's absolutely <laughs> this this episode's gross. Come on, All ew. Right, let's, let's let's get bring it back on the rails. But yeah, um, Grant Morrison gives a fairly glowing review of Unbreakable. Um, and there's um, well, this is what he has to say about it. Um, there was no pompous, triumphal march soundtrack, no striking of poses or corny melodrama. Willis was a world-weary blue-collar atlas with the weight of the world on his shoulders, setting the standard for a new decade of realistic superfiction with a stylish, original, and intelligent recreation of the form. And I totally agree with that. Like, Unbreakable was so strong because it knew the archetypes of comic book stories, and its its deconstruction was in service of pushing the genre somewhere new, right? Mm-hmm. I feel like with this film, there's a strong tendency to uh, have this faux uh, intellectual bent where it's like, oh, we know what superheroes are. We're going to deconstruct them. But the superheroes are very potent ideas, right? Like heroes are very potent mm-hmm. ideas. Superman's been around for almost 80 years, right? Mm-hmm. Um, like you can't, you can't simply say like, oh, being good sucks now, dog. <laughs> like an unbreakable is this very clear like affirmation of heroism, right? Like it ends on a tragic note, but the tragedy is that you know that David Dunn needs to continue fighting injustice, right? Mm-hmm. And he's been betrayed by his friend, but he knows like the, what the moral thing to do is. Um, and there's this, and yeah, I certainly don't think that Glass follows up on uh, one of the promises that Morrison is also um, very depressed in uh, about. Um, quote: One hopeful rumor suggested a trilogy continuing with Breakable and Broken. Uh, oh um, no, that that that's not good. Yeah, a scene in which he carried his wife upstairs was shot to look as if they were flying in a romantic real-world echo of Lois Lane's "Can You Read My Mind" scene from 1978 Superman. I think the original film Unbreakable is very superhero literate, um, especially like you know its filmic versions. Um, you know, on screen, um, there's a moment. I and as opposed to Glass, I feel like Glass feels i i was destabilized as someone (laughs) who loves comics i'm sure you felt this way as well abdul um but like there were there was one scene where they were saying oh did you know that metropolis was based on new york and i'm thinking like toronto 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 Toronto. the daily planet like his newspaper it was originally called the daily star um it's a newspaper in toronto like joe (laughs) schuster way is a place in toronto right yeah um no it's an interesting thing you bring up because like if unbreakable set the template for superhero movies for the next 20 years or signaled the beginning of like a new age of superhero cinema i'm really hopeful that glass will signals the end of that era you Mm -hmm. know what i mean like i'm really hopeful that um this like strive into like superhero universes and everything being connected and like the hyper the hypertextuality of like superhero franchising uh, can just get the fuck out of the way, right? Like like we've lost any sense of individualism around our superhero stories, um, like both in the context of like the the DC and Marvel universes, but then everything else just seems to be, oh well, in order to get this, you need to connect it to that, or like you know we look at these things as a franchise, not as individual movies. Have you ever tried um, watching like? a couple of Marvel movies in a row before going to like the latest Avengers. It's awful. They're all awful. They're all bad movies. There's like two good ones. Um, but 
you know, uh, taken four months apart from each other, the, like the way they release, it's just like, oh, you feel compelled to watch the next one and the next one and the next one, right? Um, and Glass sort of exhibits the worst tendencies of that and also thinks it's really smart about subverting it. Like half the film is like the build up to like a big fight on top of a big skyscraper that they keep reiterating over and over again like we're gonna have a big fight at the skyscraper and at the end it's like no we're gonna have a fight in a parking lot (laughs) and someone's gonna get drowned by a cop like um it reminds me a lot of the the moment heroes like sort of jumped the shark which was have do either of you seen heroes Mm -mm. great first season um but the whole um premise of heroes is that's built on the idea of these two characters, um, Skylar and other white guy, I forget his name. Like, there's these two heroes whose powers are they take other people's powers, mm-hmm. right? And and it's building up to this fight, and they, like, go to the future for an episode, and, like, you see behind closed doors, like, flashing lights and, like, sound effects, and you're like, oh, it's those two guys fighting. We're going to get there. We're going to get there. We're going to get there. And then at the end, the show sort of, at the end of season one, the show sort of pulls the rug out from under you and it's just the blandest, most boring fist fight. <laughs> and then the whole show just sort of collapses after that, right? Yeah. And it's like everything they were building up to, even in the film itself, is, yeah, it just collapses. Like there's no denouement. There's nothing satisfying but watching these people die. There's no moment of like, oh, did they actually do that? You're just like, oh, well, they're dead now. And I guess like I got no emotional resolution to the other two movies. They're just... They're salad dressing for M. Night Shyamalan's ego, right? Right. Um, but even, like, going beyond, like, the larger superhero conversation, we could probably break into, like, other ways this film is harmful for, like, any random person who's not a fucking nerd watching this for a podcast. <laughs> like, okay, the ways, so yeah. normal hot jocks talking now, not these comic book nerds. Yo, bro, nerds. I'm never going to go to therapy. <laughs> Holy shit, did you see that? That was a real American horror story, you know what I mean? Like... Get it? Cause Sarah Paulson was in it. No. Yeah, okay. yeah, 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 Yo, dude, yeah. I would go fucking beast mode on the beast. <laughs> <laughs> um, I literally said that when we were leaving the theater. I said to, uh, I said to you guys, I was like, this movie is literally the reason why nobody goes to therapy mm-hmm. because the, the Sarah Paulson who plays uh, Doctor. Um, who's, like we said before, specializes in treating people, says she specializes in treating people with uh, superhero delusions, who uh, ends up being part of this secret, you know, Illuminati that keeps the world in balance by keeping, you know, keeping superheroes down, I guess. Because if they didn't, then a libertarian revolution would take place where everyone (laughs) believed in themselves. And you know? have and having your therapist lying to you—that's gaslighting, dog. I would also like to point out that on the way to the theater, the fellas were talking, and they were like, "What do we name this episode? <laughs> what do we name it?" And they're like going off, and then someone said gaslighting. So we've been working backwards from the name. It so, was me, Evan. That should. is my IP. <laughs> so it's like, I feel like Jamar, can you, <laughs> Jamar, can you insert? <laughs> Um, like air horns on either side of here. Thank you very much, Jamar. Um, but yeah, uh, uh, yeah. Th- th- what I was saying was that people, um, yeah. The, it, it, it it turns out that she's not actually trying to treat them. She's trying to keep them down. She's. It's all a scam. All they do is over medicate people and keep them locked up. And um, and like uh, they're they're a force of um of repression and uh, basically evil and that if you people who are in mental institutions are like 
you know, being locked up against their will and and not being treated for for things. And this is even when you see people um, in cinema and, and in movies and in popular culture who are going to therapy for, you know, mental illness, they're, they're always really portrayed in this like negative way. Um, so I just think it's super detrimental that like in this world where we have um so many people like acting in harmful and toxic ways and it's because of the harms that have been done to them in large part right like hurt people hurt people the common saying Mm -hmm. that these kinds of representations taken over and over and over in so many different forms just discourage people from um from seeking seeking professional help and that's like a really shitty way for people to interact i mean There's been this, like, running thread through M. Night Shyamalan films about exceptional people being held back, right? Like, that is actually a very common trope of his cinema. Um, but I I wasn't even thinking about this until you brought it up. But, like, After Earth, which I, for, After Earth, which I forgot was an <laughs> M. Night Shyamalan movie, um, was, like, written as, like, a, a sort of Scientology document, right? I know if M. Night Shyamalan is a Scientologist. I know Will Smith is, like, Scientology adjacent. Um, but... You know, it exhibits that same, like, almost line for line, the same sort of rhetoric Scientologists use when they're describing psychiatry and, like, the way that psychiatry is meant to, like, inhibit you instead of, like, helping you go clear and stuff like that. Yeah. Um, like, I don't even know what the point I'm making there, but it's, like, it follows that path very closely. I'd be curious to know if M. Night Shyamalan is, like, actually a Scientologist or if that's, like, something he's, like, publicly talked about. Because, well, it, yeah. It also just follows, you know, not seeking help and treatment for, like, depression or anxiety or even, like, things like delusions or, or things that people are very, very commonly faced with. Um, kind of follows in that idea of this like libertarian mi- like mindset that this um, that this movie presents, right? That you can use your abilities, like you were saying, like you can use your abilities to like get you out of situations, and it's kind of like this individualist. Like if you just work hard enough, you can like overcome the obstacles that are put in front of you, which is like counterproductive when there is help available. Yeah, and like. I, I definitely think that um, if we can transition between, like, the notions of, like, not seeking help for mm-hmm. the struggles one has with kind of the uh, very strong individualism and, like, very confused, like, revolutionary, uh, like, discourse that this movie has. Mm-hmm. Um, like, in in terms of, like, the dramatic purpose of therapy in Glass, it is to weaken um, all three of our main characters and it's pushing this notion of conformity mm. and like obviously that's fucked up all right your therapist you know if they're good they want the best for you and like this like being on the path of self-actualization um if is represented by like mr glass right. in the film yeah right? which is like very strange. He's a mass murderer. Um, you have in the to movie. go sicko mode to, to understand yourself, right? <laughs> the um, beast and go I beast must go mode. Sick. You gotta get so jacked. <laughs> See, this this thing about, like, I do agree, it's, like, harmful to people getting the help they need because seeing this reinforces their idea of, like, what psychiatry is, what mental help is. Um, but the kind of, the, the end point of what you were describing, Laura, it doesn't offend me as much as I think it should because I, I do genuinely believe that, like, if you're going to engage with – there's nothing wrong with liking superhero movies. You know yeah. what I mean? But um, 
the premise of almost all superhero media is twofold. It's like one, it's inherently fascist enterprise, and B, it's an inherently like libertarian enterprise, right? And and almost all superhero like media, almost all superhero stories sort of fit in that world of like exceptional people doing exceptional things. I think Evan's about to like you know, Evan's about to go sicko. off camera. He's, he's about, about to, to go sicko mode he's on my ass. <laughs> he's about to ass light me. Um, <laughs> Hang on before we <laughs> Let me get get the beast out. <laughs> All right, let's kind of hold on. Can we wait? Wait, wait. let me get the beast. <laughs> no, <laughs> just just for you. I have no fucking clue what's happening right now. They're both on their phones giggling to themselves. Oh, I'm gonna get the beast out. <laughs> Fuck you. <laughs> Hello, everyone. <laughs> I am in the light. <laughs> I'm super strong. I don't go to therapy. I can Spider-Man on a wall like in Hereditary. This is the most incoherent episode we've ever done. Like no, a- uh, no, Evan was going to say something yeah, about like, zero superheroes being a fascist em- enterprise. As I was talking about my hot take on superheroes, Evan was like leaning more and more back in his chair. Like, and just you know, like inhaling. Like that seagull meme. Power. Yeah. Like yeah. That meme. yeah. Like... <laughs> The meme of a seagull, yes. yes, yes. That's what it Oh, it's because we were talking over each other. I'm not sure if, sure if our listeners heard. Yeah. I, yeah. <laughs> There's definitely um, some stuff that I don't disagree with in that. I feel like a lot of, um, like, superhero stories do tend towards, like, authoritarianism, right? There are good people and bad people. Bad people need to be locked up, and you need to trust authorities to... You know, do what's best for you. Who's your favorite superhero, Evan? My favorite superhero is Bruce Wayne, a.k.a. Batman, the, one of the most fascist superheroes of all time. Okay. Um, and, like, my my interpretation of superheroes, I, I don't know if this is different from yours, but I feel like um, the best characters exist in the realm of myth and are very flexible in their interpretation. And it, it all comes down to, like, who's writing these stories. Like, I view Batman as this figure... And, like... I feel like superheroes serve a very important role for us societally. And I think M. Night Shyamalan agrees with this, where we strive to be our better selves, right? They bring out the best of us. They, like the Justice League, very specifically, um, embodies traits that we would all like to bring more into our everyday lives, like determination, responsibility, uh, communication. Like, it's what makes, you know, a superhero team able to accomplish their goals. In terms of, like, the real-world impacts of, like, having a pantheon of gods, you know, coming down from Mount Olympus to save us from our our squalor. I feel like I'm less interested in that because, like, we, we don't talk about, you know, Greek myths or something in that mm-hmm. same kind of way where it's like, Zeus is a fascist, man. It's like, I get that, but, like, I feel like these stories work very well in that, like, a lot of them are morality tales. Like, do I think Arkham Asylum should exist? <laughs> no. <laughs> like, if Batman invested more of his money in, like, you know, therapy for Mr. Freeze <laughs> or the Riddler, then Gotham City would be a safer place. But, like, these stories aren't real. They're part of a capitalist enterprise of selling more issues. And, like, I feel like being, you know, having, you know, kind of like a discerning eye in these stories and knowing, like, you know, maybe what are some of the lessons we should take out of this versus, like, what is the trash <laughs> that's being fed to me is, like, really important. And, like, yeah, like you're saying, like, there, there are a lot of, like, 
the wrong messages that I think people can get out of comic books. Like if you look at like the impact that Watchmen and the Dark Knight Returns had on the genre, like Watchmen is a criticism of like US foreign policy and like to a large extent, like what if these heroes are real? You'd have to be pretty fucked up to like put on a mask. Um, with the Dark Knight Returns, Batman is very much like a like a right wing power fantasy, right? Like he's an old bitter man who goes out there and fixes the city with his fists, right? And my interpretation of the Batman character is like much different than that. You know, I think he's like a Zen master, a good dad, <laughs> like at his best. At his best, he feeds right? Robin rats. In in All Star Batman and Robin, Frank Miller, his impact on Batman should be uh, Thanos snapped away <laughs> from history. Um, but that's also the other thing about like superhero fans is that they'll just say you haven't read enough superheroes, right? It's like the Jordan Peterson well, yeah, thing. You haven't seen the context. Yeah, you haven't seen the context in which he locks a child in a room <laughs> and feeds him rats. You haven't seen the context in which he like kills a poor person. Yeah. Uh, it all makes sense after you, you see what the poor person did, right? Yeah. Um, no, I mean, I get what you're saying. I just think that at a certain point it's like – Truth is, we're not living in ancient Greece, right? Like, we, we have the benefit of historical, of like, 10,000 years um, to go back and look at, at what happened before. I, I don't know if that's how long ago ancient Greece was, by the way. <laughs> About a million years ago when Zeus came down from the heavens. <laughs> um, but now we have to, like, look at superheroes in the context we currently live in. And it's like, whenever my brain goes to, like, well, what would... Um, sort of like a, a socialist superhero look like, right? What would like an anarchist superhero look like, or communist superhero, or like just a general? Like, what would the Bernie Sanders of superheroes look like? <laughs> it would look like Bernie Sanders um, yeah. so, uh, talking to Bernie animals. Sanders twenty twenty uh, yeah. official Kino Lefter endorsement. Kino Lefter endorsement. Um, <laughs> we know all the primary voters are itching to know our stance. Uh, <laughs> our stance is yes, um, uh, but like you know. A socialist superhero genuinely could not exist because a socialist superhero would understand that the issues superheroes are largely solving, with the exception of Galactus, are are all systemic in nature and need to be solved, right? Mm-hmm. There's a lot of planets out there, Galactus. Why don't you eat the ones that people don't live on? You know what I mean? Like, like let's look at solution-oriented thinking. Let's not kill <laughs> the big dumb planet eater. Let's, you, you, know? you know what this reminds yeah. me of? Uh, you know the game... Well, hey guys, have you heard of the game Monopoly? <laughs> it's a little obscure board <laughs> game. Maybe you've heard of it. Um, it it reminds me of uh, how the Monopoly was created as a game that was supposed to explore socialism. Mm-hmm. And uh, so you had two sets of rules. It was called the landlord game. You had two sets of rules. One was the capitalist and one was the, the, the socialist or the communist way of playing it. And, like, obviously, the communist way of playing is boring as fuck, right? <laughs> like, when you're describing the socialist superhero, I don't want to watch that movie. I mean, I don't want to watch most superhero movies, to be honest, but... I especially don't want to watch uh, a socialist superhero movie. It sounds boring. So, okay, one of my last points about this. Um, I think I think um, what you said is very interesting, and I feel like with the dichotomy between, maybe not a dichotomy, but the relationship between capitalism and socialism and like how that's embodied in superheroes, um, again, I'm stealing whole cloth from Graham Morrison and his writing in Super Gods, but like, the way he describes Superman and his initial origins is deeply socialist. Um his uh, his ability is not very well defined. His character not very well defined. But he spends his day. He is he has the power of God, 
Um, he could take over the planet whenever he wants, blah, blah, blah. He spends his days as a journalist, like trying to, journalists are troops, okay? <laughs> they are heroes. Um, but he wants to seek systemic change um, right. by letting people, showing people a better path, right? Um, during the day. And uh, during his work as Superman, um, in his initial adventures and a little bit in the New 52, 2011, Grant Morrison's reboot of him, he fights um, corrupt senators, um, wife beaters, um, bank robbers. Like, um, his his whole message of doing good, showing people a better path forward, but, like, staying out of the affairs of, like, everyday people, I feel like is a fairly compelling message, but... Morrison ends that chapter on kind of a, a cynical note for, you know, the superhero oeuvre that we exist in right now. Like, who are the two most popular superheroes right now? Batman and Iron Man, right? And they're capitalist fantasies, right? They have all the money in the world, <laughs> and they use their resources for positive change in the world. But that change is strictly on their terms. Uh, they're unaccountable. And I feel like the kind of rhetoric that, you know, as comic book fans, like, we would talk about... Um, the benefits of Batman or Iron Man being in a real world, right? Using, you know, Bruce Wayne's money to invest in Gotham City infrastructure or, like, revitalizing, like, a poor neighborhood. Like, it's very much the same way um, people talk about Jeff Bezos or, or Elon, Elon Musk. Musk, Elon yeah. Musk yeah. Like, these capitalist superheroes who right. can use their immense wealth um, for positive change, right? And outside of the context of the DC universe, right, where these are fantasy stories, right? Where these characters, um, their superpower is always making the right choice, right? And being accountable to their friends, right? <laughs> the Justice League. Um, when we let Elon Musk do that same kind of thing, we're fucked. <laughs> <laughs> do you think that Elon Musk would exist if Superman or Batman had never, like, if Action Comics had never started or Detective Comics had never started? There, you know what I mean? Like that, um, yeah, I know. Like it's, it's nice when superheroes deal with existential threats, things that we as humans perhaps could not aspire to destroy, much like the planet Eater Galactus. <laughs> um, but, you know, it's really hard to kind of square that. And I love the new Spider-Man game. I, I love thought you were going to super- say, I love Elon Musk. <laughs> <laughs> Elon, come on the podcast. Do Elon, DMT oh, with us. I would love that. Yeah. Um, Elon Musk, this is an open invitation. Yeah, come to Kino Lefter. Hyperloop all the way to Edmonton, Alberta. <laughs> um, uh, but, you know, I love the new Spider-Man game. And I love the Arkham games. I love comic books. Like, I read a lot of comic books, right? Um, but it's it's really hard to square that when you're seeing them fight poor people. You know what I mean? Like, mm-hmm. my favorite superhero stories are the ones where they're fighting some sort of malignant alien force, um, you know, like MS-13. Or, oh, no. <laughs> Brainiac and his army of MS-13 soldiers. Or like, <laughs> yeah, or like, I, I told you this yesterday, where like, my favorite Superman story is Whatever Happened to the Man of Tomorrow, because it's, it's how other people react to Superman in the world, not superman doing things right or like old man logan which is like what happens when a superhero realizes he's essentially immortal and has to like live with the consequences of that right and what he's done over the course of his immortality like those are interesting stories spider-man beating up a poor person or like mentally ill people who think they're animals is like less compelling i mean it's fun to play but like not not at all very interesting Mm -hmm. um um, one last thing we should probably touch on before we talk about what we've done <laughs> um, <laughs> is is Glass's depiction of women, which is um, extraordinarily hot. <laughs> 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 I was very along for that ride. 
<laughs> uh, no, it's awful. I, <laughs> we were talking about the the upsides of this movie uh, when we were driving home, and I was just feeling like I was feeling drained, and I wasn't smiling, and I was just like. One time, Evan and I, we thought it would be funny to go and go from my apartment and go to watch the Emoji movie to make fun of it. Mm-hmm. But it was just such a horrible, awful movie. It was only 90 minutes long because it was for children. And we were in the theater with many children. And they were like they were not paying attention either. And we were just like sad on the way home. <laughs> there was one very powerful memory I have from that experience where um, we were sitting in the theater uh, tittering to each other like idiots. And dead silence through most of the film. But I remember there was one mom sitting in front of us who provided the only laugh of the film. And it was a distinct, <laughs> that was it. During which part? I forget. Oh, I think it was uh, when uh, Patrick Stewart was the poo emoji, maybe. And maybe. his little boy was like, oh, should we watch our hands? And he's like, oh, oh, oh. And then the mom's like, oh, they're poo. <laughs> The best part of that movie, the emoji movie, sorry everyone, I know <laughs> This is now an emoji it. movie fan <laughs> Was when they, they went into the basement to find all the unused emojis and one of them was the eggplant and we yeah. fucking died. We're like, there's no way a teen boy is not texting the dick standard emoji to everyone he knows. <laughs> Truly not cinema verite. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, yeah, we were, we were, we were driving back and I was depressed and... We were thinking about positive things that we did like about the movie. And I said, I, I don't think it was racist. And I don't think it was. Mm. And um, and Abdul said, I don't think it was sexist either. And I was like, oh, incorrect. There is a major, a major hiss, scene. Hiss, hiss. <laughs> a major scene at the beginning where four sexy young women who are all dressed in cheerleader costumes with like very skimpy um skimpy skirts and crop tops are all chained up to <laughs> to a wall basically waiting for their destruction and like shaking sexily <laughs> and uh and the other main you want to speak to the the other main yeah, sure. Um so um there are two other prominent female characters um, in the film, there is the main character of Split, played by uh, Anya Taylor-Joy, whose name I totally Casey. know, Casey Cook, um, and Mr. Glass's mother. Um, oh, I forgot about her. Yeah, so, hmm, forgetting WOC, very wow. interesting. <laughs> Going to leave a one-star review Whoops. on this episode. Um, <laughs> but um, there's this almost like incel um, bent to some scenes um, in this, or v- maybe not incel, but extremely simplistic um, uh, reduction of healing from trauma. Like there's a very strong undercurrent of trauma and how it transforms people through this film. Um, and it's largely the role of women to um, like bring men into a state where they understand this trauma mm. about themselves. They protect themselves um, from the uh, impact of traumatized men who wish to hurt them. At the end of Split, um, Casey is able to save herself from the beast because he sees the scars on her, right? So her being traumatized is this way for her to, like, save herself or, right. or else she'd be fucking dead. Right. Um, and Casey in the movie is brought into the uh, like psychi- psychiatric ward where they're keeping um, 
David, Kevin, and Elijah. Mr. Glass. <laughs> the psychiatric ward with two employees. <laughs> yeah. Just, yeah, the least secure psychiatric ward on the fucking planet. Holy shit. Like, this is, this is, this was also set during the government shutdown. <laughs> Yeah, well, these workers very brave. There was a general strike happening in the city during this film. Like this, these, it's utopian in its vision. Fucking scabs. <laughs> oh my god, exactly. Um, yeah, so Casey's brought into um, the ward to talk with Kevin, um, and her her loving touch um, to this man who murdered one of her friends in front of her. Um, she knows he's a serial killer, but it has almost this, like. Tumblr fan, like Tumblr fan of serial killers, bent to oh, it. Oh yeah, where she's the one who can fix him, right? She touches um, Kevin, and then his original personality of this very traumatized boy, um, who's hidden amongst these other vi- very violent personalities, is able to come out. Um, oh, he came out. He came out all right. It's a coming out story. Glass <laughs> is a coming out story. Well, I was saying like like came like he, um, he ejaculated the way that like a young a young boy would. <laughs> We've got Kevin Spacey on the podcast. Everybody is surprised. No, it's it a joke about being like a horny teenager. Yeah. Uh, didn't land. <laughs> <laughs> the important part is that you tried. <laughs> Goodbye, political career. <laughs> well, no, this is. I think you're right. I think I'm totally right. But um, this is fine. This is funny. We're keeping it in. Um, yeah, and like in terms of the other uh, women, Sarah Paulson, she plays um, this fake psychiatrist um, brought in by the unnamed secret society yeah. um, in order to tell these extraordinary men that they're not very extraordinary. Um, like. There's, um, I don't know if this is an unfair reading, but she is sapping the power of these men um, in order to um, protect the community from their power. Okay, whatever. (laughs) I don't have the energy to go into that. Um, But um, let's say Mommy Glass. um, (laughs) Mr. Glass's mother, who appears to be the same age as Mr. Glass. The actress is actually younger. She's two years younger than Samuel L. Jackson. Is that woke? (laughs) <laughs> did well, she have this child before not, she was born this film is certainly not ageist <laughs> exactly it's not racist it's not ageist this movie has a lot of check 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 on the SJW fucking checklist whoever says SJW seriously um, should jump out a fucking window <laughs> after listening to this should, episode should donate to the Patreon glass. <laughs> yeah. get defenestrated um, but Mr. Glass's mom um, is she is kind of um, painted with these undertones of being like this like malignant force or she knows more than she's letting on right. because um, she is like supporting her son a mass murderer a mastermind and she almost knows that he's not in a coma for the first hour of this movie it appears that Mr. Glass is in a coma he's comatose um, he can't respond to any of the inputs that the staff are giving him he has been pretending for some time. Uh, he switched out the drugs. And at the end of the film, Casey, Mr. Glass's mother, and David's son, the some of the secondary characters of the film, are all sitting together waiting for everyone to watch a viral video <laughs> in a train station of Mr. Glass's plan being fulfilled, which is showing off super abilities to the world um the climactic battle in a parking lot 
um, between the overseer and the beast was filmed. The footage was deleted, but Mr. Glass was able to capture it beforehand. And uh, his mother um, and Casey and, I mean, his son kind of exist in this, like, this strange, like, amoral sphere where they're pro, like, (laughs) self-actualizing because people understand that superpowers exist. um, And people can, like, I don't know if this will create more superheroes. We already know there are more superheroes in the world because um, Sarah Paulson's character travels from city to city euthanizing superheroes? <laughs> this movie sucks! Oh, no. And um, the real story is that the, the viral video shows cops, you know, extrajudicially yeah. <laughs> murdering people by keeping their heads in a puddle. Oh, but if they had murdered normal people, it would have been okay because they murdered extraordinary people. Wait, white? Uh, um, they were... They were they're going to get put on blast. Um, something I think we we shouldn't go into uh, too much because it's already been covered a lot is like there's also a lot of just like transphobic uh, relationships this movie mm. around the character mm. of like um, Kevin Wendell Dunn um, Crumb 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 Crumb, crumb, crumb. Yeah uh, I quit the pod <laughs> uh, Kevin Wendell Crumb um, and stuff like that I also just want to pay special attention to. Just there was like an impressive amount of Anya Taylor Joy cleavage and like male gaziness around that that like didn't need to be in the movie. That makes sense. I don't really remember that much. Like, oh, just I the... didn't think she was like that sexualized. She's kind of like more of a of a like calming, you know, motherly motherly force. figure. Yeah. yeah, like what if your mom but hot? And she just, is beautiful. You should watch The Witch instead I, of. Uh, oh, I thought you were telling me to watch The Witch, and I'm like, yeah, I've seen that. Movie. I was. <laughs> I was talking to our hundreds of listeners, our hundred of listeners, hundred and six. Um, <laughs> yeah. Uh, so yeah, that's that's pretty much it for Glass. I mean, like, I I think that in regards to women, you know, it's. It was either, yeah, like hypersexualized or hyper motherly or hyper like nurse ratchet vindictive, right? Mm-hmm. Like yeah. it's like it, it in the same way it tries to slot its superhero characters into archetypes, that seems to be how M. Night Shyamalan sees all people. <laughs> he just mm-hmm. sort of slots them into archetypes. And in regards to the women of the movie, he he definitely did that. But now let's talk about what have we done. <laughs> Why don't you kick it off? What have you done um, this week? Okay, so what have we done is what we watched or saw this week. Um I actually I saw the Trump piss tape, which uh, <laughs> alleged allegedly leaked, um, and for some reason the mainstream media is now picking it up. If I'm dead this week, you know why. Um, you know, my my car randomly crashes off a bridge in Edmonton. You'll you'll know why. Um, yeah, allegedly the Trump piss tape leaked, and it made me realize that in glass, once the video goes viral, no one would believe it or pick it up. It's just banal police brutality. <laughs> um, <laughs> Uh, yeah, I've been watching the Trump piss tape a lot. <laughs> Just over and over and over. Yeah, you know, I got a box of tissues ready. <laughs> got my fucking lotion on. Uh, um, but seriously, if you haven't seen the alleged piss tape, you it's should really definitely hot. watch it. It's, it's really hot. It like totally. The, listen, I don't even care. Like, I don't think Russia had anything to do with Trump's election. But like, the rooms line up. The like body type he had in 2013 lines up. The 
the women look Russian. Um, <laughs> you, you don't know what I mean? see like, their faces. You just see their, like, ass. They have a yeah, certain exactly. Eastern sensuality <laughs> to them. Jesus Christ. vivre how they pee. <laughs> Uh, I've been playing a lot of Bulletstorm, which uh, made it to um, PSN, the free games or whatever. Um, terrible plot, terrible politics, just awfully shitty everything, but what a fun game. Um, I've been listening to Dune on, on Audible. What an amazing audiobook. Uh, Audible, please sponsor this pod. Uh, the <laughs> audiobook is actually incredible, and Dune is so, like, it's getting me so hyped for the Denny Villeneuve film. Mm-hmm. And I've also been really depressed at night, uh, staying up late and playing Civilization VI. Um, I wiped out the Japanese yesterday. It felt really good. Can't wait to have my cultural victory. Problematic, problematic, problematic. (laughs) (laughs) No, the Japanese civilization. I I love the Japanese people. But in the game, I wiped out the Japanese. The Macedonians are next. We love the Japanese, don't we, folks? (laughs) But we don't love the Macedonians. Um, And then I'm going after the fucking French. I'm going to get my boats and... uh, and my Australian Empire is going to <laughs> is going to you know nuke the French. Um, yeah, that's what I've been doing this week. What have you What have you done, Evan? Cool. So um, I'm coming in hot with two recommendations um, of comic books that I've been uh, kind of been thinking about in response to this movie, and then some like ongoing series that I think are very strong for people to pick up if they want to get back into comics. Um, the first one is All Star Superman by Grant Morrison and Frank Quietly. Um, I think it's a very strong... Well, it's the greatest Superman story ever told, in my opinion. Um, Like, it's so... It captures the joy, optimism, and kindness of Superman in such a strong way. It's kind of... um, It's kind of framed around Hercules' 12 labors, but applied to Superman. And uh, he... The premise of the book is that Superman gets cancer, and he learns that he's dying. Mm. And he needs to decide what his last few acts are going to be. Um, and it's, it's an incredibly powerful story. Um, I don't think you have to be a DC comic super fan to get into it. Um, but it's one of the greatest stories that company has ever come out with. Um, my second old comic recommendation is kingdom come by Mark Wade and Alex Ross. Um, it, um, in terms of superhero deconstruction, it kind of comes at the end of what Morrison describes as the dark age of comics, which is, um, kind of, 70s after Watchmen books were always like darker and characters had guns and they killed people and it was really cool um and the story um pre-saging Civil War which I think is a not very good comic that um takes a lot from Kingdom Come Mm -hmm. um it's a book about Superman Batman Wonder Woman and the older generation of superheroes return to form after um the new generation of violent sociopathic superheroes um who kill um end up destroying the state of kansas um so superman comes back um and there's a split between the justice league over his methods of course correcting the world which are very authoritarian and superman or batman who leads a you know also dystopian gotham city like a police state um, is pitted against his old friend. Um, and in my head, it's kind of like the canonical ending to the DC universe. It's a nice story where these characters are given like an out. It's, it feels like the end of a very long saga. Um, 
And then um, two very quick recommendations about ongoing series that I'm reading right now. Um, uh, both of them are from DC. One is The Green Lantern by Grant Morrison um, with art from Liam Sharp. Um, it's kind of like a nice um, ode to 70s like space cop Green Lantern. Um, it's really hard to get out of like Jeff Johns and his like his like titanic achievement on that book because Jeff Johns, if you don't know, um, he expanded the mythology of Green Lantern. He wrote like the definitive uh, Green Lantern stories that we know like in a contemporary era. So uh, Grant Morrison is kind of like doing a very fresh take on it. Um, and my second recommendation in terms of ongoing series is the new Martian Manhunter book by Steve Orlando. It's a 12 issue um, maxi series. Um, the art's beautiful. It's like really colorful and dynamic. Um, and it's all about um, Jean Jones's career on Mars mm. um, as a manhunter um, and his time as a police detective, um, a black man who is also a refugee from, like, a dead world um, who chooses to live his life as a black man who's a police officer. Um, but as you find out in the first issue of the series, it's not, very, it's not really a spoiler, he was a dirty cop on Mars. So um, it's really interesting. Um, there are a lot of new spins on kind of Mars and his character. So, yeah, those are my recommendations. How about you, Laura? Uh, so what I have done this week, this week was kind of uh, bananas. I'm transitioning into a new job right now, so I haven't had a lot of time. I've just been at my job and at the gym pretty much, just getting jacked and ripped. Um, and so I would recommend that. I would get, recommend getting jacked. That's a lot of fun. It's a lot of fun to f- punch people in the face and fight them uh, consensually. Um, anyway, so but the few things that I have um, – that I have to recommend is I read a really great um, story in Vanity Fair. It's actually from 2005, so it's a bit of a uh, trip down the old memory lane because it's all about MSN chat rooms. <laughs> and um, it's called uh, You Want Me to Kill Him? Uh, How a 14-Year-Old Planned His Own Execution in MSN Chat Rooms and Made His Friend Do It. So it's about these two uh, teen boys who kind of get entangled in this, um, in this relationship, and uh, the one is 14. Um, and kind of like a very like smart and um, manipulative and inventive um, kind of person who creates this basically whole um, world for this very like gullible older boy who the younger 14 year old boy is uh, in love with but also kind of hates and uh, basically like convinces the older boy to um, go on these missions and and tells him that he's from um, government agencies, sends him out, but the missions involve sometimes, like, um, sexual contact between the boys and just, like, very, like, twisted kind of, like, dark um, stuff. But then uh, the 14-year-old, he's he's obviously, like, really hurting and really disturbed, and he he sends the 16 year old boy to come and murder him. So then it's about that story kind of unraveling and what the police did to, 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 um, to like look at this case. Um, so it's, it's pretty interesting. It's also kind of, it's very dated, which is also kind of fun. Um, so if you're like into true crime stuff, uh, I would definitely recommend um, checking that out. I had never heard of the story. It's by uh, Judy Bachrad, um, and it's from uh, Vanity Fair in 2005. The other thing I would recommend is I got this really bomb foundation um, from Shoppers this week. So any Kino Lefter fans who are makeup wearers, I did, um, this is this goes out to you, I did, I wanted to 
recommend it, but then I looked up the shade range and it only has six shades and I'm in the middle. And for those who don't see me, I'm white as fuck. So I will not be recommending that. If you know of um, a company that does a really good drugstore foundation that's like light, sheer, like sheer to light coverage um, that has a more inclusive shade range, I would rather give them... Um, Uh, give them my money so get at us and and give us your recommendations but i will wholeheartedly recommend the essence um lash princess false lash uh effect mascara it is five fucking dollars and uh it's really good quality it's better quality than anything i've ever bought at sephora and i don't usually buy things from sephora but uh, i will wholeheartedly recommend that and yeah, I think that's pretty much uh, what we have done this week. Very quick. I also just want to give a quick shout out uh, without talking too much about it. The um, article about Brian Singer allegations in The Atlantic that came out this week is fucking wild. It's such a good piece of investigative journalism. It is amazing. If you have a passing interest in movies, how movies work, the movie business, or just the foundational relationships of power that lead people to become absolute fucking monsters, please read it. Just Google Brian Singer Atlantic. Um, you can find us uh, pretty much anywhere you find your podcasts, iTunes, Buzzsprout, etc., etc. Um, if you follow us on iTunes, please leave us a good review. And you can also find our Twitters at Abdul Y. Malik, at McDonald Tweets, at underscore Saturn Return, and our podcast Twitter at Kino Lefter. And uh, check out our Patreon. Uh, you can find us under Kino Lefter. Very exciting news. Right after we record this podcast, we are doing our first bonus, bonus, bonus Primo episode. Primo Lefter. B-b-b-bonus. The first Primo Lefter episode. Um, so if you're donating to us at a... $5, $3 a month. $3 a month level, you will get exclusive access to that episode as soon as it comes out. So uh, I'm really excited um, for the beginning of Primo Lefter, um, the directions we can take it in. So um, the way to get in on the ground floor, start devouring that bonus content, um, <laughs> uh, is to check out the Patreon. Quick correction. Actually, uh, I haven't set up our uh, RSS feed for the Primo Lefter, so it's just going to be a bonus episode that comes out the two days after this episode. Um It'll be a sneak peek at the Primo. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Exclusive sneak um, peek. <laughs> but seriously, if, if like 10 more people donate, um, you know, three bucks a month, we'll start doing like very regular uh, premium content. Uh, we'll go on cam for you. <laughs> we'll have our own, you know, we'll become a cosplay Patreon. Um, you can find us on Facebook uh, at Kino Lefter, and you can also find us at t- on Twitter at uh, Kino Lefter. And uh, yeah, thank you so much for listening. Really appreciate it. And um, we'll see you next week with Velvet Buzzsaw, I believe is our movie. That might be our movie. I think it comes out next week. <laughs> um, yeah. Or this week. Yeah, whatever. I really got pissed. Take it easy, everyone. Bye. Bye. Thanks for listening. <laughs>